Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Matthew on, who is an antique jeweller. Hi, Matthew. Hello, guys. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, firstly. Our pleasure. Um, really excited to, to chat to you, actually. It's uh, quite an interesting subject and a bit different. Yeah, I, I think um, it is definitely a bit different. And I, I noticed... Um, um, well, not not to not to get too much into what I used to do, but I, well, I was an accountant. And if you used to mention to a people that you were an accountant, they never really had too much follow up questions. <laughs> but um, even though I enjoy being an accountant, but when you tell them you're into antique jewellery, there's a, a very different reaction. That became a bit of a meme a while ago, didn't it? If I when you said I'm an accountant, it meant something else, didn't it? Did you see that? No, I didn't, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> I'd, I'd be curious to what that might you, be, actually. But. Well, remember when, well, th- this platform called OnlyFans exploded a while ago, um, and people used to say, oh, what do you do? And instead of saying these people were on OnlyFans, they go, oh, I'm an accountant. <laughs> well, that's, uh, no, I was the more traditional, uh, not as glamorous <laughs> type of accountant, um, not the not the OnlyFans type, um, but uh, but. I, uh, in fact, to be honest, OnlyFans is, I've only really heard of that recently because uh, we've done a TikTok account and a lot of people on TikTok, I see that they have uh, an OnlyFans account as well. So <laughs> I'm not really sure what it is, to be honest. But, I, I, um, yeah, it, it's like content creation, basically. Um, all right. And, oh, my colleague here is telling me, okay, what it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, enough, uh, enough OnlyFans. Um, we'll jump straight in. So how, how did you get into this world of antique jewellery then? Yeah, well, it's, um, I kind of probably went the, in a way I went the roundabout way, but uh, in another way, I never had any other chance really because um, because my family are in it a very long time as well. Um, so I always grew up kind of, you know, going into the shop on the weekends or, um, you know, going to fairs. If, if there was no one to, to mind me at the weekend, I'd have to be shipped off down to wherever my, my parents were doing their antiques fair. So I kind of grew up with it, but the way I actually got into it was, uh, it was kind of a bit strange. As I mentioned, I actually trained as, a, as an accountant first. Um, the reason I, I went into that really is um, it was in, I started an account in 2011, which would have been the height of the uh, recession in in Ireland and globally. So um, it was three and a half year contract. So I just thought it would be kind of be a good option to, to do that. Um, and I thought it'd be great to get like a rounded view of the business world. So I, I went into the audit department, whereas you can you work across a wide variety of clients, um, you know, and you have to go through their books, make sure you kind of understand what's happening in the business. And at the end of it, you, you sign off, give your your opinion, whether the accounts are true and fair. Um, and following that, um, I suppose I always wanted to get back into the antique and jewelry business. So uh, I went and worked with my uh, father and my brother who worked in the shop after that for a few years and then uh, after that there's a there's another shop that came up for sale the, the lady who worked there was retiring and she wanted to um she had known that she wanted to pass the business on to and but she, she she would love to have kept it going as an antique shop and i was looking for an antique shop uh and i jumped at the opportunity to to take over that one um, and that's where i've been since so I'm, I'm I'm actually a little bit in the dark. What actually is antique jewelry? Because obviously, I guess it's jewelry, but old. But what defines it as antique compared to just jewelry? Yeah, it's a it's a very good question. It's pretty important actually because uh, antique jewelry is uh, is treated totally differently in terms of um, if you're doing import or export or your your taxes. Uh, there's different laws and things if it's antique. And what that means is that the antique jewelry is a hundred years old. Um, okay. So you have to prove that it's, you know, pre, uh, well, it'd be pre 2020 or 2021. Uh, so it had to be made 1920 or 1921. But um, there's another term, which is vintage jewelry, which that can really mean anything. Um that could mean jewelry that was made yesterday. It's it would be of a certain vintage. Uh, yourself and myself, um, we're both of a particular vintage, but it doesn't mean we're doesn't mean we're antique. Um, but it, it is the word antique is specific. It means a hundred years old. 
um, whereas vintage can kind of mean whatever the particular user wants. But for us, when we talk about vintage, it has to be 25 years old or older. Does that actually affect the value? So if you had, obviously, gold and diamonds have a have a set price, but making it or having something that is older, does that actually increase the price of it? Um, it depends. If it's something that's a proper antique and really good quality, uh, does have a value to it because it has, it is an antique. It's not just the constituent parts. Um, and if you've got really fine quality antiques, they do have a, fine, a small premium. They'll still be a lot better value than new jewelry, but because they're getting rarer and rarer, um, because when you think about it, um, every yeah, year pieces are lost or pieces are, you know, uh, passed on or, or whatever. The, the supply of antique jewelry is actually getting smaller each year. So uh, we're finding that getting the really, really nice goods, the, the prices are pretty strong. Um, but I suppose it's a, it's a, uh, you're juggling the price relative to value. So when you actually buy a proper antique piece, you're buying something that's got solid value uh, because the supply is not going to increase because you can't make any more original old jewelry. Yeah, um, you know, you're, you're buying something that's rare that's properly rare and has an intrinsic value in it, which will be pretty strong. And in the last 20, 30 years, antique jewelry has gone from strength to strength, really. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, you're, you'll be definitely getting very good value with it, but if you're buying fine antique pieces, um, yeah, I mean, they'll be valuable. So you'll have to pay up for them. For, for being an antique uh, jeweler, obviously you're, you obviously buy and sell the products, but do you take on the cleaning and restoration of any of it, or do you sub that out? And what, obviously, you learned through your parents um, yes. and working with them. But is that a traditional path? I assume it probably is because it's a, a fairly small percentage of people that actually go into it. Yeah, um, it is. There is a very small percentage of people who go into it. I mean it's pretty niche industry anyway, I suppose, like compared to uh, modern jewelry, uh, just to give an example, I went to uh, Las Vegas, uh, as every good story should, should start with, a, with an intro like that. But, <laughs> but uh, no, there's a big, big jewelry show in Las Vegas every year, uh, not last year. I think it's going ahead this year, actually, in July, um, June or July. And there's an antiques part and there's a modern part. And the modern part is like this vast, metropolis of linked halls and literally every type of jewelry and every person type of walk of life you can meet in this thing but the antiques is in one hall and i see the same faces at every antiques show but um in terms of the, the dealers and the, the people who are attending so um so it is niche so a lot of, not a lot of people um go into it but um, but no, it's, 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 I suppose it's probably hard to get your foot in the door because most shops are small family shops. Um, but if you have a keen interest in it, you'll, you'll definitely be able to get into it. Like you'd have to have a, I think, a curiosity in the antique side of it and like an eye for design. And, um, but if you are, it's, it's, it is a growing area. And I definitely think there's opportunity there. Um, and in terms of the, the repairs and stuff, um, well, that's a, that's a, Every jeweler, every jeweler be different, but we, what we do is we do all the services for people who uh, buy stuff from us. Um, but if you walk in the street, if I can, I would do the repairs for someone, but we don't guarantee it. And it's, it's only because of the, uh, our capacity because, um, our jewelers who, who's the, my cousin, um, he only, he can only do so many jobs per day or per week. Uh, and if we started taking in repairs, we probably wouldn't have space to do our own stuff. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of how we work that side of it. Is that show in Vegas, JCK? Yes. Yes. See, I know JCK because I used to be um, a fine art and jewelry broker, insurance broker, and all of oh, our clients okay. would go to JCK every year. It's it's a and, massive thing in the jewelry world, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's. When I was there, I, I think, I don't even think, so the hotel I was in, which is, um, it's the one that looks like a pyramid. I can't even remember what it was oh, called. Oh, yeah, now. what's that called? The Mirage? 
Mirage? No, not the Mirage. Mm. It's um, yeah, I can't I'll look up the name. Now. Hold on, but it, it was is the one with the but underground, as I'm sure you know, they're all kind of linked together. Mm. Um, all of those hotels and the Luxor Hotel, that's what it's called. Right. Um, and I was able to go from there to like a whole different hotels and even in between the hotels and the underground like links there was like gem shows and all like it's jewelry literally takes over vegas for this week and the jck are the organizers um that's so cool that you worked in the insurance side i mean that's really interesting as well um yeah it could it could be interesting but i never really came across any clients that did antique jewelry um and it was all it was very much sort of the diamond dealers that we used to deal with yeah and it well it adds probably a layer of complication to it um I mean, the, the diamonds, as you said, the diamonds, a lot of diamonds have a, a sort of an observable market value. Mm. Whereas the antique, for example, we insure our stuff for cost plus 20%. Yeah. Because if we lost something, I can't go buy another one. The time and effort we spent to actually find that, mm. uh, it wouldn't even be worth our while just to get our money back in it because we wouldn't have some, we couldn't replace it. So um, there is a cost even in finding them. Mm. But um, with the diamonds, though, if you, l- you lose, say, a modern one carat, you know, D round stone, it could be a beautiful stone and it'll look fantastic in a ring, but you could buy probably buy another one pretty easily. Mm. Um, if you lose an 18th century diamond, you know, pendulock earrings, I mean, <laughs> good luck to you trying to find another one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and the antique side of that, it was in, it's always in the Paris Hotel. Uh, is it? I think it has like a Eiffel Tower out the front of it. <laughs> Probably um, it's Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's in there, the antique one. And it's just literally one room. You can see from one end to the other. Uh, and that's it. But there's a like this like kind of ant, like ant hive of like lots of different <laughs> places of modern ones. And they just literally sprawl out the whole of Vegas. It's it's If anyone had an interest in jewelry, like you should go to this week. It's, it's You'd learn a lot, really. What is it actually about antique jewelry specifically that interests you? Because I was just looking through your your Instagram um, before we came on, and I don't, modern jewelry for me is obviously very clean and very neat. Um, uh, but antique jewelry is it's got more interest to it. There's different stones you use and different uh, patterns and designs, whereas I think modern jewelry is a lot more not plain but uh, more standard, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, well, what attracted me to the the antique pieces, and I'm just that you're 100% right. I mean, a lot of modern jewelry is made for mass market appeal. Like a lot of the stones are calibrated in a specific way that it's very quick to make them and to set them. And to if someone wants one that's like a tiny bit bigger, or a tiny bit smaller, you can get that. Now, there is very fine modern jewelry as well and some really cool people making very special pieces but that's really uh that's a very niche part of modern jewelry most of it is you know um design uh, companies that build their model in such a way that you can scale it quite easily uh and to answer your first part of the question that what drew me to the antique pieces is there is actually their uniqueness and their kind of uh, the unusual nature of them and i always loved history it was probably the one of the very few subjects in school that i really excelled at and uh, you have to have a very good historical background I think to understand antique jewelry because it kind of tells you a lot about the piece um, like just for example 1940s jewelry uh, was during the war and um, platinum is uh, made used in the production of gunpowder so um, you couldn't get your hands on platinum for love or money um, and so what you see in 1940s is that virtually all the jewellery is gold. And it's usually like light because, uh, for example, in France, if you wanted to get jewellery made during World War II, you had to supply your own gold. And the government actually took a piece of the gold as like a, a levy to support the, the war effort. So what you'll find is like light jewellery made of gold, um, usually really feminine designs because... Uh, a lot of women were being drafted into the workforce in the 1940s because all the men were out fighting wars. Um, and it was one of the last, uh, so they had to wear a lot of kind of work clothes. So this was a good way to get a bit of femininity in the design, 
So you'll find very feminine motifs um, in gold, in light jewelry in the 1940s. And if you had a background of like what was happening in 1940s, it really helps you understand and identify what that type of jewelry uh, would be. And I think that's really what drew me to the antique jewelry. And one, one thing that they say in the, in the business is there's this thing called um, the hunt. And you're looking for, there's always this chance that you find what they call a sleeper, where you're just looking around, you know, and it could be in a, a flea market that has, you know, basically bric-a-brac, but you find something absolutely beautiful. Now, what I would say is that 99.99% of the time, uh, you're just, you're, you're turning over stones that have no, nothing underneath them worth looking at, but the odd time you, you find something that's beautiful. And that, uh, when you put in research and research different types of jewelry and hallmarks and all this, and you find something that's really, really cool, it's a great, it's a great feeling. I know a lot of antique dealers, they talk about the hunt and finding this special piece and, and that it's like hitting a great shot in golf. You spend the rest of your life trying to repeat it. So <laughs> I wish I knew what that felt like. <laughs> um, um. Um, with the history part, that I mean, me and both me and Jules are, are massive sort of history buffs, and that's such a cool thing about antique jewelry that it has a story to it as well. And you know, it, is that why people come to an antiques, um, a jewelry specialist in antiques because they want that story, they want that background with the piece? I'm glad to hear your uh, history buffs. We're definitely in the right company here together today. But, <laughs> um, I definitely think so. There's a couple of elements that people want. They definitely like the story. Um, like, you know, when someone comes into, comes in here, we're not really talking about the specs of the gem or the, the carrot of the gold. I mean, we, we always touch on that. Obviously, people are going to ask that, but it's, it's just like nearly a tick the box exercise. Like, you know, what type of gold is this? What type of stone is that? You answer and then you move on. Then it's like, tell me about like the period of the jewelry and, and um, and they want the story. Do you know where it came from? And like most of the time we don't, <laughs> but we can certainly tell them this is a 1920s piece. You know, this, you know, this would have been typical of, you know, the, the flapper style of the time and would have been worn with X, Y, or Z. And, you know, that's why it looks like this. Uh, and people definitely want that. Um, the second thing I think um, is a big one lately and, you know, we we never antique dealers and antique jewelers never really talked about this, um, but it is also like the ultimate sustainable product, mm. and that was probably like a, you know, maybe a few years ago, five or six years ago, people kind of were starting to really start to think about that, but now it is like I mean, I'd say we get asked that at least maybe two out of three times. It's a key factor. Wow. And like if if a ring has been um, made a hundred years ago. Like its carbon footprint is, you know, zero today. Um, and that is that is a big thing. It's also to a conflict diamonds, I think. Um, mm. Like conflict diamonds really, really come from the 70s or 80s, um, kind of Sierra Leone and some other places. But if you're dealing with antique pieces from the 20s and from the 30s or, the, or sorry, even the, the 19th century, uh, you know, you're 100 years clear of that. Yeah. Um, and that's the best way to know for sure that they're, they're conflict-free. So um, those, those things, along with the design element, the fact that it's, the, I think it's the, one of the best things about getting an antique ring and also the, the most challenging things is that if you get one, you're not going to see someone else with one like it. But if you miss out on one that you kind of were considering, it's very, you can't get it again. Um, I think those things together uh, are really people are starting to realize that that if that's what they want antique jewelry is an option that they should be considering yeah for you do you find have you found it hard to not become a collector particularly when you've spoken about things like the hunt you know you've you've been tracking down an incredible piece and you eventually find it and you get it in your hands you go i've got to now sell this do you do you have that sort of conflict it's normally resolved by my bank manager, actually. Um, <laughs> but um, there are some pieces that I really, really like, definitely. Um, but no, I mean, I suppose we kind of have like a floating collection in the shop. So we have things, we have them for a while, and, and then they sell. Um, I have kept one ring, I will admit, 
um and it was one it was one that i bought um i bought it in finland actually a few years ago and uh i bought it for 150 euro and it's uh they didn't rate it at all they thought it was just a kind of a modern uh piece second hand that wasn't really special but i actually looked up the the marks and it was a like 1919 uh very nicely made 18 karat gold piece and uh, it just fit me and I just started wearing it and it kind of never took it off. But uh, if someone offered me the right money, I don't know if I'd sell it or not now, to be honest. But um, so, but I think, I think if you're in the trade as a dealer, you can't be, ultimately, what gives me a bigger kick actually is getting somebody who really, really loves the ring or loves the piece of jewelry and matching them with that. I prefer to see them happy than to keep it for myself. Um, but no, there are definitely pieces that I really like, for sure. So I'm sure you'll tell me that there isn't an average day for you. But if you had to describe one, what would you be doing? Um, yeah, no, there's, well, there's definitely, yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. Is there no, there is no average day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say, I mean, a big part of it, and like any job, and I think people probably think that it's uh you know in working in the antique jewelry business it's very glamorous and this and that but um but most like any job though the 90 percent of it is um you know administrative responding to inquiries and i'd say that would be, would be a big one we come in the morning um myself and uh, my colleague elise who's our gemologist here and we the first thing we do is we'll get onto instagram and we'll get onto our emails and we'll respond to all the queries that would be the, the first thing um because nothing else happens unless we are selling stuff we love talking about jewelry and we love um looking for it and buying it but uh, as with any business if you're not selling it you, you don't have a, a business actually so um so that's the first thing we'll do we'll prioritize that and uh, then if we've bought anything we need to get that on the website so we have to research it um i know for example yesterday we got this uh this brooch in which was a russian piece and um, there was red stones in it, which they were sold to us as rubies, but we didn't think they were rubies. Uh, we thought they were something different. And we te they tested as spinel, but that's that's actually fine because uh, spinels and antique Russian jewelry are very rare, like a very valuable gemstone. Um, actually, it's a common mistake people make. Um, and in the Imperial Crown of Britain, there's, a, there's what they call the Black Prince's Ruby. Um, and if any, if any of your listeners want to look that up, you see this beautiful crown that's got a, this um, enormous red stone in the front of it. And uh, they thought for years it was a ruby. And it was only when they uh, they analyzed it, when the technology developed, they could analyze it properly, they found it actually was a spinel. So, um, but, uh, so no, but we, we kind of anticipated. So we, we like that, uh, we spent about an hour talking about whether a mark on this piece of jewelry was an A or a triangle so um you know but it was very important because the, if we could if it was an a it was from a different location of russia which had a more in a more important cash to it um so yeah, we we look at jewelry then we identify all our new purchases and value them and, and process them um like loads of photography uh plenty of instagram videos we do two instagram lives a week um, we're even on TikTok now, believe it or not. I feel like a dinosaur on there. But How's anyway. that going? <laughs> it's going all right. I'm not quite sure yet whether it's... it's. Um, I'm not really quite sure whether it's a commercial thing, um, but it's good fun and getting like information out there can never be a bad thing. So, no. um, But it's... Yes, definitely the first time I can clearly see that there is a different generation to me out there who's younger. Do you <laughs> so, know what? That's exactly what I thought when I went on it. I was like, okay, these people are different to me and they're younger. It's a bit uh, a bit worrying. But what moment was that? was that? It's Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's, um, But then some of it kind of crosses over. I'm like, oh, maybe. But yeah, no, pretty much <laughs> different generation. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, and then, sorry, if... Uh, if and when the shop is open and uh, will be open soon, hopefully the, uh, you know, you just don't know who will walk into the door. So dealing with the, the clients and that that's fundamental. Um, people walk in, you have to, uh, like, I suppose the, 
there's a Chinese phrase that says uh, a shopkeeper must have a happy foot. Who comes in or what their inquiry is, you just have to be energetic and enthusiastic and kind of ready to, to help them as best you can. So. Mm. And so what about the actual antique hunting itself? Do you sort of put aside some a couple of days or do you go on specific trips? That's yeah, that's a that's a good question. That uh, normally what we do with that is we probably would set aside um a few days. So there there'd be the big fairs we go to. So there's your your Las Vegas fair, um, there's one in New York. Um we would monitor all of the sales, so any of the private sales, the house clearances, um, if there's any of those on, we'd um and uh with sometimes if we we'd book a trip to go around London or around Paris and view, view all of our we have suppliers in different places there that we view and we'd normally organize three or four of those appointments for one day um and then we'd go we we'd uh, what's the word we'd do a, a crash course through <laughs> through there for a day um but it's kind of changing though it's like um for example one of our really great suppliers and we're the only person he deals with in Ireland and he's um he's he gets some great pieces He's a he's a Dropbox uh, thing now where he has a, a new acquisitions folder and you know I check that every day to see what new pieces he's got up there. And if I thought it was any of us for me, I'd send him a message and you know then um, um, then he'd organise to get that delivered. So obviously it's slightly more complicated now with customs than it was, mm. but um, that's kind of it. But the like the someone could walk into the shop any day. Uh, with something amazing to sell i mean most of the time people have stuff that they think it's uh they think it's great but maybe it's i mean it's special to them and that's what's important to remember but mm. it might not be a very valuable antique but sometimes people come in and they think they've got rubbish and it turns out to be something amazing so you just never know but yeah we we do plan we have a few days uh at least once or twice a month we'll go visit somewhere uh, and look for new stuff definitely and we, we sort of lent on it a little bit when we talked about TikTok, but how much um, has social media had an impact on your, your type of business and how much uh, sort of custom do you generate from that now? Oh, it's enormous. Uh, so much so that I think if you weren't on Instagram in this business, you'd be really missing a trick, definitely. Mm. Uh, it's so visual, you know, like... It's about the design, how the pieces look. You know, there can be really nice mixes of colors and shapes, and it really lends itself to to Instagram. And I would say, no, I was only talking to this uh, with somebody the other day that I was thinking, like, you know, today in a company, there's like, you know, you have like your, you know, your PR person and your marketing this and your, you know, all these different traditional roles. And I was thinking, I wonder in a few years it'll probably be the traditional roles would be like, you know, TikTok manager or like Instagram <laughs> manager. Um, but that, oh no, it's vital. Like Instagram for us, I was, I was thinking, I was doing, um, I was going through all the different uh, websites and different pro- like platforms that we use. And I was just changing all the passwords the other day. I was just thinking to myself, the one that would be most damaging if it got hacked would be probably uh, the Instagram. It's also the easiest one to get back, I believe. So, mm. um, but um, oh yeah, it would be Instagram's fundamental. I think, uh, as I mentioned, the more we respond to our queries, so that's kind of time on Instagram, and then for the rest of the day, content creation. Word. Um, my, my colleague here beside me here is uh, is looking at me. And I think she's blue in the face, creating <laughs> creating Instagram posts. Yeah, right now she's doing one. So, um, like I think we normally pick one or a day or two a week, and we'd kind of schedule all of our posts on on Instagram. Um, but it's so, so many ones uh oh god i mean I'm, I'm trying to think of a business that lends itself better to instagram clothing i suppose would be a really good one food because so visual as well but oh no you have to be on you have to be on it yeah yeah i mean every, every, it's such a quick easy marketing tool these days isn't it oh yeah and i mean it's basically free like you know yeah. so um like if i was sitting out here looking at, out the the shop window um how long would you have to wait to see, you know, a thousand people walk by and you can, you can do a post and it'll, it'll might hit a thousand people in, you know, a few minutes. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, we're the first generation of antique jewelers who, who have these platforms. Um, in a way, I think, you know, like the, 
people used to go to these trade shows to meet the the local clients. Um, but now in a way you don't have to, but, um, but to, not to contradict myself now, but I think that actually might be more applicable to other industries uh, with the antique jewelry. I do think that people still want to see it physically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to put a few, uh, a few dollars behind it. You were, uh, you, you probably want to have a, a close up look before just picking it off the internet. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, that's just, as you said, it makes common sense, isn't it? You want, you'll want to see it, but um, I mean, when people know you, once they bought once or twice, they might kind of yeah. trust your judgment. Yeah. Um, which probably leads on quite nicely there. What would be some person personality traits that um, you've seen yourself and your jewelers around you uh, that you think really help in that industry? You have to have, uh, you definitely have to have an interest in people, like a genuine interest. Um, like people, if you're not sincere, I think people see through it straight away. Um, so you have to, and, and like, I've never, this is one thing I'd say, uh, what I love about this job, I've never looked at the clock thinking, oh my God, there's an hour left. I've looked at the clock and gone, oh my God, I only have one hour left. So it's uh, as in like, I need more time. <laughs> so um, seeing people chatting to them, um, it's, I don't know, what's that, what's that old phrase? It's, it's like, it's all about relationships really. Um, and if you can't do that part, you're going to be in trouble, definitely. Um, the second thing I'd say is attention to detail because you're dealing with such small objects physically, like they're, they're you know, obviously a ring fits in, fits on your finger. A diamond could be the size of a you know popcorn kernel, like you know, but it could be worth thousands. And you have to be so precise with your assessments and so precise with your um, evaluations of these pieces it's not good enough to just be general. Like good enough is not good enough. You have to be bang on precise. Um, so attention to detail would definitely be another one. Um, I know that, that deals with your, your selling and your buying side. I think um, you'd have to have a good judge of character as well, uh, especially when you're buying and selling to people. Um, you know, if you especially especially buying you know you have to kind of make an assessment whether the the person selling to you is is um selling for the right reasons i suppose um and i suppose that's general or that's related to any business <laughs> good sense of good judge of character would be helpful um but those would be the fundamental ones and i think if you had them uh you can definitely go a long way um and curiosity and sorry and i'd say curiosity in the pieces and the history if you don't have a genuine interest in that um I think you'll you'll probably run out of steam because you can't generate that uh, organically. Um, for example, when we were talking about that Russian mark that I mentioned, um, I think we could have kept going. We were talking for about an hour. Um, we we're looking up the different hall, the different makers in those different locations. But if you didn't, if you weren't really interested in the history of it and where the you know the jewelry centers in Russia were, you would have never got to the right answer. So I think a, a genuine interest in people and history is so important. Right at the beginning, you mentioned that your family have been involved in this sort of industry for, for years. But if somebody's listening to this and thinking they'd really like to learn the industry, where can you even begin to do that if you don't have sort of a background in it? Yes. So um, it is a good question because on the, on the face of it, it would appear to be difficult to get in. But there is lots of ways to do it. And I would actually, if I was learning this business from scratch um okay the the type of job the type of um if you want you don't and by the way you definitely don't have to go to university to do this there's a lot of a lot of people don't right so um you could there's lots of big international auctioneers who do like training programs um so i believe there's uh, sotheby's and bonhams you they actually take on like a, a whole raft of um trainees every year um, you don't need any connection to to apply for that um I think they usually look for people who have an interest in art or art history or, or something like that. But um, that would be definitely one way. I think another way is, you know, your hobbies. If you, if you enjoyed going to, you know, flea markets and antique fairs and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, normally what happens is that people get offered like um, 
a day a week or two days a week, like a shop might be looking for somebody. And sorry, this is obviously separate uh, if you don't want to go the route of, you know, um, an auction house and traineeship, mm. that kind of thing. Um, they normally get offered a day a week. Like, do you want to work Saturdays? Um, and then you might think, oh, well, I'm looking for a full-time job. What I'd say to you in that case is, um, you know, work the Saturdays, get a different job during the week. And once you learn your trade and, and they get to know you, you'll find that you'll be, they'll be saying, oh, can you not do Fridays as well? Um, and Thursdays, what about those? <laughs> so, um, you know, just try to get your foot in the door. And, um, you know, if you have a real interest in it and you show an aptitude for it, you'll, uh, you'll definitely progress. Um, there is exams you can do as well and online courses. There's a place called the GIA which is the Gemological Institute of America. They have online courses, which would be the most recognized in the industry. You can do what's called an AJP, which is called an accredited jewelry professional. Um, and that is, you'll have to do what they call diamond essentials, colored stone essentials, and um, jewelry essentials. And I think each one of those are about $300 or something like that. Is it not um, too bad if you're, you're thinking of investing in your career? That's not, a, you know, a too much of a, an investment. No, it's, it's not. And for what you get for it, like you'll get a, a qualification. And then when you go into, um, when you go into apply for something, then obviously you have a really solid, well-recognized one. Um, and the other thing I'd say, just that remind me of uh, a lot of, a lot, a lot of what a lot of people do, and this is the natural progression of it. They start off in modern jewelry because there's a lot more jobs in modern jewelry, but then they'll segue into antique jewelry. And that is a common trend, I would say. Um, so maybe get into, get into a jewelry shop, you know, work there for a little bit and then try finding the antique one. And it's a, it's a natural progression because you need to know more for antique jewelry. So if you get a grounding in that, say you can't get into an antique shop straight away, um, that's definitely a way you could segue into it after a little bit of time. So for you, what would be the biggest um, positives or opportunities you've had out of this career so far? You mentioned, you know, you love the history and, and going on the trips. Is that what it's all about for you? Yeah, I definitely love that side of it. I suppose for me, what I love about this the most, I think, is it's probably the, the people, actually. Um, you meet people, I think... Uh, so I used to, as I mentioned, I used to be an auditor and I also did some liquidations and you, you normally talk to people when not at the best time, but in this business, you're usually meeting people at a very happy time uh, and you can have great chats. And I, a lot of my clients have become friends, I think. So um, the second thing I'd say would be the variety. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about you're buying, you're selling, you're traveling to places, you're meeting different people people from different walks of life um every piece of antique jewelry is different so you have to be able to assess it and critically analyze it and i think no two are the same so it's it's that's exciting and of course it's a as a, a lot of a lot of people it's a, they're usually small shops so you kind of have to do a bit of everything you have to do a bit of accounting a bit of pr a bit of um marketing a bit of tiktok um so a bit of uh, yeah a bit of, so there's a great variety in it there um, but if I had to pick one thing, it, the most exciting thing, and it's like that, you know, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration, the, the 1% inspiration is the, yeah, going on the, on the, to the shows. There is a real buzz when you go to these shows or you're going traipsing around the antique shops in Paris or wherever it is. And it sounds glamorous when I hear myself saying that it sounds great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is so exciting. Um, yeah, I but imagine. I'm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, who do, it's basically shopping, but you're shopping for somewhere else, I suppose. But yeah. someone else. But, um, but no, that and the people, and I suppose as I said, the, the the characteristic you need, you have to be able to get on with people, have an eye for detail, and um, that for me is 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 the best part of it. So, how much of your uh, sort of client base is new versus sort of repeat customers, and do your repeat customers sort of give you a task to find they say hey we want something like this can you go and find it yeah they do they do and it's um when i did a post on instagram today about that um about so we we do make things for people and we do search them so but when i say we make them i'll only use antique stones uh and we'll use recycled gold and we can design stuff 
But if someone had a particular type of antique piece they were looking for, yeah, we we have. But what I always say to them is, you know, often when people want jewelry, they kind of want it straight away. Um, and it is one of the the things. If you're looking for something specific, you have to be patient because you never know when it will turn up. And uh, you know, in this, you could be waiting six months to, or even a year to find. I remember a client of mine was looking for a citrine necklace that had citrines the whole way around it. Uh, I think it took us 16 months or 17 months to actually find the right one. Um, but um, so yeah, that people must have been def- super satisfying when you found that. I was just like, yeah, that's it. And uh, I had to nearly control myself because, you know, otherwise I probably wouldn't have got a discount off the person selling it. So, um, but, oh no, it is. You're just, it's, it's, and it's funny. I have a list. I keep a little, just a, a small notebook and I just write down all the things I'm looking for and just like, and like initials beside it of the person who's looking for it. And uh, they kind of just stick in your mind and every so often you'll just, you'll find one of them. Um, but yeah, that that is it's a great feeling, definitely. I bet. On on the other side of that, though, what would be some uh, some less favourable aspects of this industry? Um, I suppose if people have got pieces that they that they love, and then they've you know they've heard it through the the, the grapevine of the family that this is a very valuable piece. Um. And they come in and, you know, they're they're expecting to maybe walk away with a rather large check. And uh, you have to, you know, gently and uh, tactfully, you know, break bad news. I don't really, that's not a, no, it's not a great feeling, a great thing to do. Um, but I've learned and kind of with time, the, the right way to, to do that. Um, I mean, in some, in some, okay, on some occasions, uh, the best way is just to, probably just to talk them out of selling it because uh, you know that they're not going to sell it anyway for what it's actually worth. Um, I mean, the opposite of that is actually true as well. Sometimes people come in and go, well, I've got this, it's probably worth nothing. That turn, could turns out to be, you know, Fabergé piece or something like that. So um, that's not fun. Um, it's always the security aspect, I think, of the business that you have to think about. It's just something you have to deal with. Um and you don't dwell too much on it, but as a someone who's in the insurance business. Um, yes, yes. I, I hope I, you've got your chub safe in the back. I do, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> it's an enormous one. I had to reinforce the floor, I think, to get it in. But There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, yeah, it's, you just have to deal with that. I get good insurance and then just, you know, trade away. And, you know, but but um, that side of it's not much fun, but it has to be done. Um, but I mean, otherwise... Um, otherwise it's just like um, just like any shop returns process if something doesn't isn't right that's always tricky but I mean it doesn't really happen because um, it's not like you know uh, I don't know my, my girlfriend for example I just I swear to god I think the, the delivery man in the local area and women were just like knew the house off by heart because there's packages coming all the time there recently but um, she doesn't really think about it. She just should buy like ten dresses, fully <laughs> expecting to send back like eight of them. Yeah. Um, but if people are spending a few bob on an antique piece of jewelry, they won't. They won't do it with a view to sending it back. They will have really thought about it. So it's not really an issue. But um, but no, they're they're the kind of they're the kind of things. And like anyone who runs a small business. You're, you've got uh, you're just always busy you know so you mm. have to you have to carve out time for yourself you know so and and how we sort of mentioned it earlier and you talked about uh, people you knew in the industry but how important is building a network um f- to succeed in this the longer i'm in the business the more important how i realize how important it is um like for example i had a i had a tiara in the shop um another good sentence that sounds good out loud actually um (laughs) but we had a tiara in the shop and i had it for quite a while and um i still kind of developing the website so probably wasn't getting much international reach and i was in the early days and my my instagram i don't know how many followers we had we probably had a couple of thousand at that stage but um so it wasn't getting great reach and that is exactly the type of piece you need to kind of um promote globally um, but now i have a contact who i know will buy 
every TR off me if it's a really nice one and they don't even really mind on the price. I think they actually export them to China, believe it or not. But wow. um, but they but it's good like that contact. So I can now take if I see see another TR that comes for sale, I can kind of take have a go at it, and mm. I, I know I won't be stuck with it mm. because it's a yeah. big capital input in to that. Um, and if if we you know sometimes if it's going to be here for a couple of years, which actually wouldn't be that long in this business, that's fine. But if it's going to be five or six years, then you're like, well, that's, you know, then I'm going to have to sell it for more than, but if I know I have a, an out, I can sell that straight away. Um, I've, I've just recently contacted, got in contact with two new diamond dealers who specialize in dealing antique uh, stones, large antique cape stones, what they call them, or they're, they're slightly tinted Um and we were kind of getting inquiries for these stones. If they're tinted, I know that sounds like who would want a tinted stone, but it's, it's an attractive, like, uh, if I was a marketing graduate, um, um, oh, which actually I am, but if I was, <laughs> I would say that um, I did, sorry, I, I did marketing in college in accountancy. I trained in a professional accountancy firm. So the, they would say champagne diamonds, right? But mm. um, so they're, they're, it's an attractive tone and they'll be way, way, um, they won't command the same price as a white white diamond, but they'll look fantastic in a ring, and you'll get a much bigger one for the same money. Nice. Um, and I, yeah, and I've noticed a couple of companies doing these uh, on Instagram, and there's no one really doing it in Ireland. So we, I've got a great contact with them, and we've got in our our first few stones, and we sold them like almost straight away. Oh, cool. um, So like, whereas even if you knew that was a market or if you thought you could sell it, you know, you have to find the right person because if you're buying those stones at 10% too much, you've no room to make any profit on them, you know? So, um, do do you have any, uh, tips maybe for anything that you think worked for you for helping you build your network? Yes. Uh, and again, we touched on it briefly. I would go to those, trade shows and they're not just necessarily in uh they're, they're all over the world there's there's enormous ones in london manchester um all over the uk there's ones in ireland you know ones in the states of course and um, there's a big one in hong kong as well um you know that's a bit, a bit off the beaten track from our neck of the woods isn't it but um but i would just go to those you don't have to you don't have to like i went to a few of those shows and i'd known before i before I opened my own business. So I'd know, I'd no prospect of buying, like I had no money. So I was, there was no risk of me buying anything. Right. So, um, but I just went around and I just asked them, I wouldn't go when they're really busy. If they're dealing with customers, you don't want to, you don't want to waste your time then because you know, they do have to make, they have to make a living then. But if you go with no one at the counter and you go up and have a chat, you'll find that the people are very happy to talk to you and tell you about these pieces. And again, if you've got a genuine interest, tell them I have a real interest in antique jewelry, you know, that looks like a Victorian piece. Is that right? And they, you know, they'll happily tell you. And tell you. I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in that Vegas show, I, I thought this enormous emerald cut stone. An emerald cut is like a square kind of a diamond, or sorry, rectangular shape. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never seen a diamond like this. I mean, it must have been the size of the top of your thumb. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, you know, I just, I didn't actually even ask to see it because I know I didn't want to like scare them, right? Um, so I was like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, how big is that diamond? And they're like, have a look at it. And they were like, this is an emerald cut. It's it's mounted by Cartier. And she was led me, and I, I just looked at the ticket. And it was like 2.7 million. I was like, right. <laughs> nice. um, but like, that's, I would say, go to your local antique show. Just chat to the people. You know, when, they, when they're busy selling stuff, obviously just give them give them their space. But um, but, it, but if you, but other than that, they'll happily tell you about everything. Um, like, don't forget all all these people love antique jewelry. So if someone comes up wanting to talk about antique jewelry, they won't be able to help themselves, you know? And then, then you might build a network um, and um, and I think that's a good way of building your network. And mm. actually, I'll tell you a good story about um, before I opened my own shop, I was going to try to get a bit of experience in New York, actually. And... Um, because there's a good center of antique jewelry there. Mm. And uh, I was trying to get a job. So what I did is I, I wrote down 20 antique dealers on a piece of paper and put their address beside it. I literally just, uh, I called them the day before. And if, if I could, I book an appointment. If I couldn't, I just walked in and just told them my situation. 
And out of those 20, uh, I got one who offered me a job, but it was kind of like a, it was very wishy-washy kind of uh, part-time stuff. And I wasn't based in New York. I needed someone who was going to actually give me a job so I could move there. Um, But I got one of them who was going to offer me a job, but the only problem was they had just gone through a, uh, the process of hiring, trying to hire someone from England and the visa was a, was a nightmare apparently. So I caught them literally at the worst time. Mm. So, um, but other than that, it was, um, other than that, I think they would have given me a job. So I was a 20 to one and I got two chances. That's a 10%. So, um, I just went in, chat them, told them what I was looking for. I didn't hand them a CV. I was saying this place, don't hand them CV. Tell them, and if they want a CV, they'll ask you. I'd say, because mm. uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people when they when they do that when they're younger, they kind of go in hand in CVs. Who's manager? Here's a CV. Like that probably won't get you very far. Um, mm. Chat. Tell them what you're interested in. And I think, uh, and that was my little that was my little uh, <laughs> my job hunting in New York, which uh, ultimately was unsuccessful. But I nearly got there. <laughs> Cool story, though. Um, so, so at this point, we usually talk about um, what people could expect to earn within the industry. And we usually go away and we look for average figures. But as you can imagine, it was incredibly difficult to get any sort of um, figures um, uh, for us to find any. But I yes. think it's just important to say that, you know, owning your own business and all the things that come with that it's kind of up to you how much you can earn um how much work you put in how good your network is and things like that yeah like i could give you numbers but they they probably wouldn't mean much um like for example i take a very low salary because i put every penny back into buying more stock mm. um but i mean ultimately i own the company so that's the that's you know the long term i'm hoping that'll benefit mm. um so i mean i would say you know, if you look up kind of um, what retail salespeople will make uh, in a jewelry shop, that's kind of what you'll make in the antiques place. And it's, but it, you know, in and in different places, some might offer commission-based roles. Um, you know, but it's so so varied. But I mean, if you're in there and you're selling lots of stuff, you, you can make you can make a good living at it for sure. Mm. But I would say if you plan to open your own antique shop, um, be prepared to you'll never you will never have a lot of money in your account because it'll always be sitting in your stock so um and i think that's very important that's a really good point how how important is cash flow management for you i imagine it is incredibly important it's that's such a good question i i don't even know where to start (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah of course i mean so it's um you know, there's always things like make a budget this, and I have tried to make budgets, um, but then someone will come in and offer me something and I'll spend a heap of cash on it. And I'll be like, oh, that budget's <laughs> gone out the window. Um, there'll just be a small pile of smoke coming out of my computer where that budget was held. But um, you have to, the way I'm, the way, I manage cash flow is I make sure that we spend like at least 60% of our time trying to sell stuff and at least 40% buying stuff. Uh, sorry. And obviously there's like other stuff in there, but mm. in, in divided those two. So naturally we should have more money coming in than going out. Mm. Um, but yeah, cash flow is, a, is, a, is a, it's definitely a, a, a challenging thing. The way I do it, the way I do it is I have, one bank account, which is like a transactional thing. So it's like wages, salaries, expenses, that kind of thing. Mm. And I always want to keep a minimum level in that. And then any surplus to that, I move into the buying account. Mm. And then that's how much we can spend on stock. So that's the way I manage it. And if there's nothing in that, I don't like taking credit from people. Mm. But I, and I won't unless it's really unmissable. Mm. So if I have no money in the buying account, it's unmissable. Then I'll take credit if it's a dealer or if it's um, a private. Um, I have a I have a revolving loan facility that we can we could use if we didn't have the money. But I I try to keep money in the buying account and that's what we can spend. But it's flexible because if there's nothing good worth buying coming in, you don't buy. Mm. And if there's loads of stuff coming in, you have to buy. So yeah, so it's, um, 
there's somebody somebody listening to this and thinking oh, you know i'd love to get into the industry or maybe even love to start their own sort of shop or, or something like that do you need a huge amount of capital to start this or can you start with a little bit of capital and just build up and build up uh the items yeah you can you can start with a little bit and you can build it up and up um here's the trick though you can't do it you're not you can build it up it takes time though because you have to learn about the pieces and there's like like that's what's so fast there's a never-ending um knowledge base that you have to kind of acquire and even you know my dad for example is in the business since he he started working there when he was a teenager and he's now no longer a teenager (laughs) let's say he's he's well into his 70s right but he says you know he learns new stuff all the time he says so um like for example i started off with uh i was doing trade shows and i had one cabinet and the cabinet was sparsely filled out with things and i was buying you know cheaper silver jewelry to fill up the the places um you know and yeah i just build it up and up and then when the shop came for sale i took a rather large loan to buy the shop which we're still paying back but um that was the way i kind of got it and you'll actually probably be a better dealer than i wouldn't recommend like and again this is not what i did but i wouldn't recommend going into debt too much because you could but when you build it up bit by bit you'll really have an appreciation for value like you'll be spot on you're you'll be real you'll be on the button like you'll know what things are worth you'll know what's a good one to buy what's a bad one to buy because you can't just buy what you like (laughs) that that's because you have to buy what what you like, but what will also sell. Um, so you can definitely build it up. You do the smaller fairs with you know really cheap entry um, with a smaller selection. Then if you stick at it, you can build it up and build it up. And then, you know, if you build it up big enough, you can get a shop. Um, but you've got, I mean, like what we've been talking about, you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got TikTok, you've got all these other ways that you can market in the meantime. Um, yeah. So... No, yeah. you don't need a lot of capital, but um, you don't need any actually to get going. Uh, you could start off with one piece, but if you want to jump quickly, maybe you could take it on. But like, you have to be comfortable with having that on your books, and it's um, it's really not for everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, certainly. Um, um, obviously, you you did some. Well, you your parents were in the industry previously but would there be anything that um surprised you uh, something that maybe like wasn't in the job description when you actually got started in it yourself i suppose it's it's not really specific to the uh jewelry businesses probably to a lot of them but i think the the shipping like the import export like you have to be really good at that especially these days with the social media that we're talking about you're nearly as likely to sell something to, you know, someone in, you know, the Rocky Mountains as you are someone in, you know, on who's living in Clarendon Street, which is a street just around the corner from us here in Dublin. So, um, or in London or anywhere, you know. So, the import and exporting is like paperwork. It's bureaucratic and it's form filling. And I didn't really, I never really thought about it as, um as a part of the business, but you, if you're, if you were good at like administrative work, it would definitely make life a lot easier for you. I don't know if that's a good one specific to the antiques business. Um, but because it is such an international kind of a business, um, it crops up more and more. Um, and I don't want to mention the B word, but, uh, <laughs> with, no. with Brexit, it's, it's, you know, stuff going both ways, I'm sure there's people tearing their hair out with these customs yeah. de- declarations, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Absolutely. Awesome to hear. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, as I said, and it's always, for me, it's a good test of uh, a job that if you, and I even say it's job, it's not a job, but it's, it's just kind of what I do. Like, you know, I don't think it's a job. It's, um, even when I'm sitting at home, I'm kind of on my phone looking at, I'm just curious, someone opened a new Instagram, um, a different antiques. I was like, oh, look at these people. Just, just, it's just your interest. But um, I've never looked at the clock and think, I think, oh my God, there's an 
I look at the clock and think, oh my God, there's only an hour left. <laughs> That's the test, so, isn't it? <laughs> That's the test. Yeah. The and test. uh and got another cliche I'll throw at you. What's that one? What's that one? If you if you never uh, if you never if you love your job, you never work an hour in your life. Work a day in your life. Yeah, that's the one. Yes, the that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on and chatting to us. It's been a, a real pleasure, and I love the fact that you uh, you love the history behind it all as well. Yeah, no, like thank you so much for having us. I hope that was. Uh, I hope that's going to be really good to your listeners, and they'll. Yeah, and I would encourage people to, if they have an interest in it to to think about it because it's it is a growing uh, part of the jewelry business. Uh, you'll have great excitement and um, like it, it's it's very sustainable as well. So, um, and if anyone has any questions, they're more than welcome to contact me. So awesome! And um, where can people find you actually? Uh, yeah, so they can uh, they can get us on our uh, Instagram, which is at Matthew dot weldons with an it's uh, m-a-t-t-h-e-w dot w-e-l-d-o-n-s god i nearly forgot how to spell my name <laughs> um our uh we're on tiktok and it's matthew dot weldon just no s on that one uh or we actually have a podcast ourselves uh which is called gem pursuit which is where we talk about different gemstones we have one series which is about diamond emerald sapphire ruby uh, and pearl our other series is jewelry through the ages where we talk about uh, georgian jewelry all the way up into modern day jewelry um and that would that could be a great place to start your um your research into the industry actually brilliant well thanks again matthew we really appreciate your time now absolute pleasure to do it thank you very much